1: Before I get to my next guest, Tony Ruggiero, I want to remind you about a couple more of our friends, starting with the folks over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. The popularity of a cavity-back wedge that can help golfers has grown fast. These are difficult to make, and Cleveland Golf is the only major vendor now out there making them. The CBX Zip has many features straight from the Tour RTX wedge, including zip grooves and a laser face for more spin around the greens from the fairway or the rough. Zipcore's lightweight density core moves the center of gravity, not just in the middle, but slightly forward towards the toe, for forgiveness on miss hits and a solid feel on all shots. The dynamic sole on any loft helps turf interaction, which is at the heart of our Chunk It A Little Less TV ad. Hate your wedges? Can't get the spin you need to hit it close? Swap out your wedges for a set of the CBX Zipcores and save strokes immediately. There's a reason why CBX won gold this year on Golf Digest Hot List. For more information and to get yours, go online to clevelandgolf.com. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation. And that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing product. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Tony Ruggiero. Tony has been named a Top 100 Instructor by Golf Magazine every year since 2017. Golf Digest did them one better by naming him one of their top 50 instructors. He's worked with tour players like Tom Kite, Boo Weekly, Lucas Gulliver, Sepp Straka, Zach Sucher, just to name a few. Tony is from Mobile, Alabama, played his college golf at St. Mary's University where he lettered twice. He was a member of the Heart of Texas all-conference team. He transferred to Sanford to be closer to family. He lettered two more times when he was there. He earned his degree in public administration from Sanford. Tony has been the director of instruction at the Country Club of Mobile and the Santa Rosa Golf and Beach Club, as well as spending several years at the Hank Johnson School of Golf down at our good friends, the Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort. He now has his own academies in downtown Mobile and at St. Simons Island here in Georgia. And I'm honored Tony is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tony, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate y'all having me. Uh, it's it's an honor and, uh, man, uh, following a great guest. You couldn't, you couldn't hide the enthusiasm of your last one. And he had a lot of words of wisdom there that I think any golfer, but especially young golfers, could benefit from. I mean, I think that those young guys playing on the team with him, uh, I mean, they're getting a real treat. They're getting a lot of life lessons and lessons about what it takes to be successful in anything, much less golf.
1: 100% agree with that, Tony. And, Tony, you and I, we got a lot of synergies. We both partner with Strixon, the Sandestin Golf yes. and Beach Resort, have been friends of the show for many years, love playing those golf courses. And you recently had Hal Sutton on your podcast, and Hal is one of my all-time favorite guests. So all of those forces kind of pulled us together. So uh, we got a lot going for each other.
0: Absolutely. I, You know, I guess, you know, Sandestin, <clears throat> when, I, when I got the opportunity to go teach there at Sandestin for Hank, when Hank had the school there uh, for a bunch of years, it was a big break in my teacher career, and Hank was so instrumental in, in the little bit of success I've had, and, and and was a great mentor. And so it was a huge opportunity. I spent, you know, I spent nine or ten years down there between uh, Sandestin and then over to Santa Rosa at the, at the beach club there, and it was a great run and a great, you know, great stop in my career, and still a lot of friends down that way, and, and, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And, uh, you know, and, but Mobile's home. And, uh, you know, so I'm teaching there and Mobile in my studio. And then uh, and over at the Preserve Golf Club, just across the Mississippi line, do some stuff. And then I spend most of my other time now um, down at Old Palm Golf Club in Palm Beach with a bunch of the guys that I work with that play for a living. And it's a it's a super spot. So I'm fortunate to have some nice places to hang my hat.
1: Tony, I want to start by talking about the interview that you did just a couple of weeks ago with Hal yeah, mm-hmm. Um It's one of the best conversations that I've heard in a long time, that the things that you guys talked about and the things that you brought out from Hal's experience and some of the synergies that you guys have. Talk about the time you got to spend with him.
0: Well, you know, like I said in the interview, you know, one of the, my grandfather taught me how to play golf. Um and and started my love affair with the game and when he retired to pinehurst and you know he retired young in his early early fifties, which same age as me now and um you know it, he it, one of the first things I got to go watch was the uh was the world team championship and how was an amateur and uh the world amateur championship and how how was uh he won that i mean he talks about he won the north south he won the world amateur and he uh, something else that year at Pinehurst. So he had great, you know, he had great mem fond memories of his success at Pinehurst. So, but that was one of the first, you know, big golf things. I think as a kid growing up, if you stay in this golf world, you, you remember the first time you saw greatness and saw somebody that you knew was different than other people. And that was, you know, that was it with How. And so, as um, you know, I do the podcast tour coach and, and tried to think of different people I, I wanted to have on. One of my tour players and, and, a, and a guy who just did his wedding this past weekend, Rick Lamb, great player and great guy, very, you know, very intellectual about really likes to spend a lot of time talking to older players, guys that have done it. And, and Rick and I were talking about people that we'd like to talk to and that we'd like to, we would, that we'd like to pick their brain. And one of them was Hal. And so through some of the folks that I know at golf magazine, com, I was able to get uh, get his contact info and reach out to him and, he was you know, he was really really generous with his time. But uh uh it was great. I thought it ticked a lot of the things apart that it takes to be successful, right? And that it takes to be good at to play at that level. And I think that, you know, in this world of social media, everybody's looking everybody's looking for a quick fix. Everybody's everybody and I think we're guilty of it as teachers, to be honest. I spoke to some teachers and teachers in South Florida last week. I think everybody wants to go take a certification or everybody wants to read something that's going to give them the answers to to every golf swing. And I think players are the same now, but I I don't think that's what makes you successful. I mean, as teachers, we've got to learn to hang in there and grind it out and figure out cause and effect. And As players, you've got to learn to understand your own golf swing and, and, and learn, you know, be accountable to yourself. I think that was kind of really the message that Hal shared with us was, you know, it's, It's what's inside you and your ability to figure things out and your ability to learn to control the golf ball, your ability to understand you and your swing. That's what makes you a great player, right? And uh, obviously had the front row seat to a lot of stuff with Tiger and some of the great players. You know, I think one interesting thing about Hal is he kind of, you know, he was still very good at the beginning of Tiger's career, but he played with a lot of the other greats, like the Nicholases and the Watsons and those guys coming up you know and and Raymond Floyd he talks a bunch about Raymond Floyd so you know i think those those to me are the interesting players that got to see kind of both worlds of, of great players I, I, and and to really be able to say hey what were the commonalities what were the traits that were common with them that made them great
1: tony one of the many things that stuck out to me during your conversation was how you guys talked about focusing more on the good shots that you hit and trying to replicate those instead of wondering why you hit a bad shot and trying to fix that one. The pros don't hit every shot perfectly. You guys manage your misses. You don't panic over them. Talk about the positive mindset of focusing on the good swing.
0: I I go back to an early, one of my early, you know, is a young apprentice. This was in the or young teacher. This was in the Sandestin days, actually. I was with uh, Hank Johnson, and he uh, he was working with an LPGA player. Uh, at the time, um, I think it was Jerry Steinhauer, but I'm not sure. And uh, anyway, you know, she, she hit a shot and she said, you know, it wasn't a good shot. And she said, uh, what did I do there? And he replied, why do you want to do it again? <laughs> and I just remember <laughs> thinking, heck, I'd never say that to a student, right? You know, and looked at him, you know, kind of quizzically looked at him. And he, you know, and, and I remember him telling me we were walking back to the computer, you know, with the video camera and he said, you know, good players need to understand what they do when they hit their good shot, and they need to go out there and they need to try to hit good shots, not worry about what they did on their bad shots. He, you know, he kind of shared that with me, and, you know, I think that's true. I think that the best players in the world know, and I think Hal kind of was talking about that. They know what they do when they hit good shots, and they and they understand that, and they know what, they know what they're dealing, what their thought is. And every player's different, I mean, you know you see them rehearse things with crazy feels or whatever, but I think that the I think that the majority of golfers out there play where they hit a bad shot and they like they hook that one so they're like, "Well, I don't want to hook the next one, so they're they're trying to not do what the last swing did, and they don't go out there with any clear-cut plan, any clear-cut feel, any clear-cut understanding of like what they need to do in their golf swing to hit their good shot, whether it's a draw it's a fade. High, low, what you know, slice, whatever. You know, you can play good golf, even if you slice it twenty-five yards, as long as you do it every time, right? We, there's plenty of examples of guys out there that won tour events and majors that curved it a bunch, right? But they they knew which direction it was going, and I think that uh, I just think a lot of golfers do that. I think they're always trying to fix the last shot instead of having a clear cut understanding of what they need to do to ref to hit their good shot.
1: Tony, you and Hal talk about not only coaching and working with great players but also essentially getting fired by them because the (laughs) moment they start not playing well, they blame the coach and not themselves. And Hal said something really great about that. He said, if as a player you don't know how to blame you before you blame everything else, you're not going to be honest enough to be a really good player. Talk about that and how you deal with players that have that mindset.
0: Well, I, I mean, we could talk for hours about this because I think part of that is the changing of our culture, and you can argue whether it's good or bad or whatever. But you know, I, I think that one thing I've had to learn, and I'm always trying to get better at it, is you have to learn that the firing part of the business is a firing part of what we do is part of the business, right? And uh, but if you care about what you do, and you're passionate about what you do, and and you you know, I think that when you invest a lot of the time developing a young player or spending time with a tour player, you know, you, you've got a lot of emotionally invested in it as well. They become like parts of your family. They become, you know, brothers or younger, you know, or or uh, uh, like your own kids at times, right? So, you know, that when it, when it happens and it doesn't work out, especially to me, when you've had some success, long range success, long term success, you know, it becomes difficult um you know i don't know but but i think that we're in a situation now because of every, what we talked about previously where everybody wants immediate like it, they everybody thinks that somebody else walking down that range is going to have some answer that i don't have right mm-hmm. or you know some guy with a track man or quad in a building you know on this side on the other side of atlanta is going to have it's gonna have some info that's gonna make him that much better that I don't have, right? And and I think that uh, I think that in general, the, the the generation coming up behind us, I think what what we were trying to say is that like they'd rather look for that person than admit that maybe the reason they haven't played as well or the reason that they haven't achieved what they wanted to achieve is because of something they haven't done whether it's they haven't put in the work in the gym, which I think is critically important nowadays or they haven't put the you know they haven't put the work in and the effort in to really understand it themselves or to commit to it or haven't practiced enough I mean there's a variety of reasons sometimes maybe they just hadn't had the guts to get it done when it you know i mean sometimes and sometimes you just gotta stack up and play good when it counts <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to do with golfing right and so you know I think it's easier to fire. Coaches and fitness trainers and mental coaches than it is than it is to look in the mirror and I've got one coming out I I think it's this week go with Smiley Kaufman who I taught for a long time to the end of college through his two really good years on tour and Augusta and all that and and he talks about some of the bad that I mean never goes into detail I mean we've all been through it but like you know he got lots of bad advice lots of you know everybody basically telling you to do that stuff right oh this guy. This guy go to here, go there. Where I think is, you know, I think in most cases, the bouncing around and changing instructors really, really doesn't. I don't, I don't know that it pays off for many, for many players, very much. I mean, I think you have some guys have rebirth, going to somebody with a new idea and a new set of eyes. You know, I think we did a nice job with that with Lucas Glover for five years, and, and you know, had some really good years. But I think in general. Like once you're really good and you're a tour player, man, I think you, I think your pattern's pretty set. And I think, yeah, you know, I think what you know, I mean, I don't know that we're going to pick up a new player that's been playing 25, 20 years on tour, and we're going to totally change everything they do, and they're going to become the top 10 player in the world. I think, you know, um, so I, you know, I, th- but I think that's kind of what we were talking about. Is like there is, there is this, there is this idea that like everybody else has got something better and they can give me the answer instead of looking in the mirror. And, and But I do think that that's what the best players in the world, from Tiger Woods to Jack Nicklaus to Raymond Floyd to Lee Trevino to all of them, to Hal Sutton, I mean, they all looked in the mirror. And they they all blamed themselves, you know. And, and uh, you you look, listen to the list of those great players. Most of them didn't bounce around and change teachers. Tiger, I guess, could be kind of the outlier. But, I mean, you know, Tiger would probably be the only player that you could argue to change teachers three, four, or five times and still remain great, you know, whereas for most people that doesn't pay off.
1: Tony, you're one of the top junior instructors in the game as well, and kids are different today than when we grew up. They have a higher level of expectation and oftentimes an entitlement that we never did. How do you reach them and approach them versus an adult coming to you for lessons?
0: Well, I think as you go along, certainly when I started, um, you know, it was harder because I didn't have a track record. I kind of had these ideas in my head that I thought would make people better, and I had a great, like I said, I had a great background and a great upbringing, a great pedigree from the folks I had learned from, Hank Johnson, Mark Wood, Wayne Flint, Tom Ness, and Atlanta, all these great players, teachers. But, uh, you know, I wanted to do my own thing, and, um, you know, it was harder. But then, I, you know, as I got, you know, once I got some good players, you know, my first really, really good player was Bobby Wyatt, who lives in Atlanta now. And, and uh, you know, Bobby was one of the best players in the country. And so I kind of – we kind of came up as far as being good together and learning to deal with that level of, of, of playing and teaching. And I would ask him as a really good player, like, you know, what do you need to get better? And I, I just kind of always watched and watched what other good players wanted and needed. And I just said, well, heck, I'm just going to give that to – these other kids coming up. And, and I, I remember being at the players championship and uh, one of the first times I went to the players and walking and I watched all these players and they all had a fitness guy. They all had a mental coach, They all had this, they all had that. And I was like, well, well, why, why are we not doing that with developing young players? Not, maybe not to the same extent, like where we overwhelm them. Because I think that tour players get too many people hanging around them, but like where we give them all the spokes and all the, parts of the wheel that they need to to be the best. And so that's kind of how I started with my approach of putting a team of folks around, young people that help with development. You know, Colby Touye and Morgan Hale that work with me do unbelievable jobs. You know, Colby's one of the best in the world at what he does, and Dr. Carton on the mental side. and You know, and then we added, you know, then I started feeling like, heck, we've talked about, like, all the, the, the science part of the game. It started invading everything and everybody thought you had to have science. I was like well I didn't want to lose players because they just thought I was too old school and I didn't understand it. So I added Scott Lynn a biomechanics expert. We started doing stuff together. So you know I've just always tried to fill what I think I've always tried to have really honest self-evaluation with myself at the end of the year and at various times in the year or times when you get fired and you sit there and you're looking like say, well, what, what, what is it that, that I offer that is not as strong as other places? Or what am I lacking? Or what's my, or I, maybe the best part way to say it's like, what's my weak part, right? What are my weaknesses? And so I've always tried to fill those weaknesses and I've tried to do it by adding people that are great at it rather than me trying to become average at those things. Right. Cause like, you know, I mean, hell, I'm never going to be a biomechanics expert. I mean, um, can't figure out how to turn on my TV half the time. So like, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, so like I'm going to bring Scott Lynn in. And so, you know, I've just always, so like I've tried to build that team around young people. And then I think the last part is, is I've had been, I've just been fortunate to have some success and, and, and then the, you know, putting, I think that we owe it to those coming up behind us to get, to help them. And I, I, I don't force, but I strongly encourage my young, my good young tour players, or even Lucas Glover's and those guys. When I was with Lucas for five years, like when he would, when we would work, he would go play golf with juniors that I've taught, and make him spend, make them spend time with those players. And I think it's great for not only for the juniors, but it's great for the tour player. One, I think it brings them back to reality and makes them realize where they started. And two, I think sometimes in coaching and explaining to people like with kids, like, oh, well, this is what you really need to be doing, it lets them reconnect with some things that maybe they you know, maybe they let slide. Maybe they're not as maybe they're not as attentive to as they need to be. Right? So I think that when you build that culture and you have adults and good players and you have good junior players that want to be good and I think if you find those people things. I think you can create a pretty interesting culture that that helps push people to achieve the things that they want to do.
1: Tony, I want to get a playing lesson from you before I let you go and <laughs> one of the places that most of us struggle is with squaring the club face, particularly our driver, right on the tee. We tend to be slicers because our face is mm-hmm. open in relation to the path of our swing. What's a drill that we can do to get our club face more square?
0: Well, you know, I mean, I think the first thing you have to look at anytime somebody slices and somebody doesn't get the club face players, you got to look at the grip, right? You know, and I think we're talking about recreational golfers here. I think the first thing you got to get them to do to make sure that grip isn't in the palm of the left hand or the lead hand if they're, you know, for a right-handed player, Uh, you got to get that grip where it's a little bit more at the base of the fingers, which is going to allow the wrist. And you know the wrists work correctly and hinge correctly, you know. And I think you know. I think if you get, I think you fix a lot of face problems with grip. And then from there, you know, I think that so many golfers know the club. They want the club to go around them, especially if they're sliced. And they have this idea the clubs got to go from the inside, and they start twisting or rolling the club around them instead of learning to hinge the club correctly. And I think um, you know, understanding that as you take the club away if you're a right-handed player, that that right wrist has to kind of hinge back, fold back, which kind of which kind of flattens the left wrist. Some people bow it out. I mean, I just want it square. I'm not going to be overly picky. But, you know, as, as you're taking it back, if you can learn to hinge the right wrist, which flattens the left wrist, and you get that butt of the club kind of pointed out at the target line. You should have a pretty good square face. And if you can learn to do that motion and then just kind of move the club to the top with your pivot or your turn, You should have that club in a pretty good spot and a pretty good square face. And then from there, I think if you learn to get the face square, a lot of the downswing stuff starts to take care of itself because your body doesn't have to react to an open club face, right? The problem with doing this is you're probably going to not slice them. You're going to hit some pull hooks, and you may hit some crummy shots at first. But you'll learn to recover from that. You'll learn to get the club. You'll learn to get the club in the right space.
1: Tony, before I let you go, let our listeners know. How can they follow you online over social media and listen to your great podcast?
0: Well, you can, you can go to com, which is our website and has information on all our retreats and instructions and so forth. Um, Or, you know, on Instagram, I post a lot of stuff at the sweeper on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. Just look up golf, and, uh, or go to any of the, any of your avenues to listen to podcasts and check out the tour coach and like you were so nice to talk about how that interview's up there and we've got one with smiley kaufman coming out and, and uh we've got some good stuff it's generally very relaxed uh a lot of it taped over dinners where i'm drinking red wine so they get entertaining but uh i appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to have me on because you do so much for our for, you know for our you know for what we're doing in golf right and it's such a great sport and and uh you know you're always supporting teachers and and people that are trying to grow the game. So I'm very very appreciative of all you do and and for all the shout-outs you do, and uh, and I'm flattered that I was asked to be on your show.
1: Well, that means a great deal to me, Tony. Thank you so much for that, and and I hope, like I say, this is the first of many appearances that uh, we get to spend some time together and talk about, get your perspective on what's going on around the game, and and also sneak a a playing lesson or two from you as well. But your show, the, the tour coach, is fantastic, and And that conversation with Al is one of the most important golf conversations I've heard in a long time. So, kudos to you for what you do.
0: Thank you so much. And you can count on having more of these conversations. I'm looking forward to doing it. Uh, uh, Keep up all the great things you're doing. And I'll tell Eddie Dry, he said to tell you hello. I'm going to see him for dinner here in a few minutes uh, and all the strict time folks. But uh, keep up all the great things.
1: I appreciate you, Tony. Say hello to Eddie for me as well. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon.
0: Thanks so much.
1: That is the great Tony Ruggiero. R-U-G-G-I-E-R-O is the spelling of his last name. The Tour Coach Podcast is the name of his show. And at Do Sweepers Golf is where you can find him on Twitter. Folks, I'm telling you, that conversation between he and Hal Sutton was as good as it gets. Very important conversation about where we are in the game of golf right now. They both are outstanding, and you know how much I love Hal Sutton. Tony was fantastic as well. He's a great coach, and he has a great show, and he does a lot of great things out there coaching for tour players, adults, and junior players as well. Like I say, I hope this is the first of many visits we get to have with Tony because he's fantastic, and I look forward to catching up with him again real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patry, Mark Lye, Jonathan Shusky, and Tony Ruggiero for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are our good friend, top instructor, and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strana, will be here. Another great friend and my favorite author, Keith Hurson, will be back, as will top instructor Brandon Stooksbury. It's been a little while since we got to have Brandon as part of the show. Looking forward to catching up with him. And also looking forward to catching up with Russ Holden, founder of Caddy for a Cure. He and his team do such great work for our wounded veterans. So Russ is outstanding and really looking forward to having him back as part of the show. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting site and app out there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Google Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one, too. Just type in Next on the T" in the search bar. We'll probably come up. Please check out our website, nextonthet.net to stay up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Plus, you're going to find links to our recent episodes and individual guest segments. So whether you've got two hours or you got 20 minutes, we've got great content available for you for free on our website. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to the show again tonight. I know you've got a lot of great golf podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful that you continue to make next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
0: $5 minimum balance
1: required. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack.
0: We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundation sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction inferior site preparation, or weather, drought, causes, cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com.